Hello and welcome to the 108 podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Raquel. And we're the Type 1 Together Girls. We are stripping down life with type 1 diabetes from two people who live different versions of it every single day. Please remember Type 1 Together does not give medical advice. We are only sharing from personal experience. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Raquel. <laughs> How are you? Happy, happy 2024. Yes, this is our first one, like just recording in 2024, just you and I, which is so fun. I missed it. And we had our diversaries. That happened. We did. It feels weird saying like we, <laughs> but I know it still, it still feels like mine for now, you know? Yeah. It is. It's still a big day for you. Yeah. Yeah. No one can take Two. that away. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah two years I it's more just like I feel strange being like we've had diabetes as in I've had diabetes for two years when I have not had to feel the effects of needles and pain and lows and highs and ketones and but you felt pain other ways (laughs) yes sure did sure did you know what else I noticed it's year 22 for me and two for Hattie, which I also thought was kind of cool. Because uh-huh. you know how there's like significance between 108 as a number, which we yes. didn't even know when we started calling our podcast that. Yeah. But there's also a lot behind 222. And there's been some like interesting 222 things for Type 1 together, like in past huh. years that have happened on 222. The year that it was like 22222. Yes. Something, we did something big that day. Now I'm forgetting. Clearly it wasn't that big. <laughs> but, um, but it's just interesting. Yeah. So. Uh, we did an Instagram live all about our diversity, like on that day. And I have to say, Amanda went so like deep and was so vulnerable. If you haven't listened to it, <laughs> I highly suggest it. I mean, it was amazing. We didn't plan Thanks. for it to go in that direction, but it's just no. so honest. And we have very different perspectives since I've now had 22 diversities and I didn't even really celebrate diversities growing up. Like it doesn't feel as heavy to me now, but it's so different for everyone. And I think it's a lot harder for parents for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. I was just, I was definitely having a funky day, just a funky week ish, just feeling extra emotional in general. And so I didn't expect myself to go there either. And then you just said, how are you doing? And I felt myself starting to cry. And I was like, oh, not great, apparently. (laughs) But it's interesting because it's, it's very different from how I felt last year. Cause I don't, I'm sure you don't remember this. There's no need for you to remember this, but the first video that you put out on Instagram of me was that video I made talking about diversaries and why they're worth celebrating. Mm, Cause I had made that video for honey health. Cause that's how we all, that's how you and I started. You asked me to make the honey health videos, you know, and then you're like, that one's really good. Can I try it on Instagram? I was like, yeah, "Eh." (laughs) so many people. And so it was just, yeah, that was another interesting thing from myself and my own brain to look back on. Like you would think that one year would elicit a more emotional response for a parent, but it didn't for some reason. One year felt very like I felt super proud. I felt like, whew, I've got my kid. This is awesome. Like, I could not have her right now, you know, and we're doing great because at that point I had worked my butt off and fought hard for her to get on a pump and to, I don't know, just really figure out how to dose and stuff. And so we were seeing like really dramatic improvements in her time and range and really big drops in her a1c so I was just feeling really good about diabetes and maybe you were more like in the thick of it and now that it's been two years and you I feel like do a lot more things kind of in the background like I do like you've kind of gotten the hang of it for the most part like I feel like maybe you're able to step back more and be like holy shit like we just did this for two years you know yeah yeah that for sure and I think there's something about the fact that like we were months away from her having diabetes longer than not. That yeah. feels that feels like big and heavy considering she's so little still. Yeah. You know, just like she just I think, it, yeah, it was really hitting me like 
you will only ever know or remember a life that involves pain from needles in order to survive. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of dark, but that's it just is like dark. where my brain goes. Yeah. And like that makes me sad for myself because it's yeah. true for me too. But I also, as you know, and I said this before, I I rather it that way because I think it would be so painful to know life without it, to be honest. Yeah. So I don't oh, know. There's no oh, better oh. anything like that. But to know life without it and know that I don't get that anymore. Got it. I think that would break me. Yeah. yeah more. Yes. But who knows? Who's to say? There's there's I no know. good about it. <laughs> well, we'll have to have someone on who was diagnosed later and who's willing to talk about that part of it. Yeah, hmm. definitely. Very interesting. All right. How so how are you? You we're gonna do a quick catch up and then uh yeah. we'll dive into the topic. I want to hear about your trip back home and your holiday season. Yeah, everything's been pretty good. I went back to Texas for a week to see my family in Dallas and then to visit my Austin friends where I went to school and it was fun. It was kind of exhausting because I was trying to see so many people in such a short amount of time, but I'm so thankful for my time there and What's really cool is I was so excited to come back and start working again. Like I really missed being in the grind and like getting to talk with you and record these episodes and everything. And it has been so fun every single day. Like I continue to wake up just so excited. And I feel like with the new year here now, like even though I don't necessarily have New Year's resolutions or anything, it just feels like, all right, it's a new year. I have such a great feeling about this year for myself personally and for Type 1 Together as a whole. And so it's just so exciting. Like, I just love it. And Amanda and I have said to each other in calls the last couple of days, this is so fun. Like, we just love what we're doing. So yes. how cool is that? Like to have something to get to work on every day that we truly enjoy. It is literally the best thing ever. I like have a buzz, you know, in my body when I like actually sit down at the computer and start going through emails and start working and so much of it is because I've never considered myself a creative person and I never gravitated towards creative outlets. I like played team sports and I was structured in soccer with what to do. I was very like science brained, which is very black and white. And then nursing, it's like everything was like structured and mm -hmm. That's all great. I enjoyed that. Looking back, this is like a whole tangent and like other topic, but looking back, it was definitely because I battled anxiety my whole life. So I needed structure in other parts to feel like more balanced. But now, like being a 32 year old woman and like finally getting to explore a creative outlet has been so much fun. And so rewarding. It's very cool. Yeah, it's so fun. So Love yeah, it. that's that. And then, so something we're going to talk about today is like just dosing and fear of insulin and fear of lows. And I think I said in our episode where we talked about goals that one of my goals was to really like look back over my numbers, fine tune my settings and actually like just be more intentional about diabetes because I have what I'd consider to be a really great, my best ever A1C. And I love that, but I feel like it's just been a little messy, a little sloppy, and I kind of wanted to get it together and make it easier on myself. So yesterday I, well, in the last like couple of weeks, I've been like trying to actually count my carbs more, which if you know me, that's pretty different for me because I <laughs> don't really like actually put carbs into my pump. And what I've been realizing is that I have been underdosing, which totally makes sense because what happens is I end up giving a lot of micro boluses. Like I'll start to go slight arrow up and I'll just give more and then I'll come back down and I usually don't go over 200, which is great, but it just requires so much more attention and energy. So yesterday I got coffee and banana bread at Starbucks, which normally I get like a breakfast sandwich or I make eggs at home, but I just got back to town and haven't gotten groceries. So I was like, I'm just going to do this. This has no protein, no like anything. I was like, I'm going to need so much insulin for this, but I'm going to do it kind of as a test and like make myself give what I actually need. So I looked up the carb counts on both the coffee I got and the banana bread and I gave the full amount. I will say I gave them, I think I gave like 
maybe 70% of it like 10 minutes before and then I gave the rest later but I knew how much I needed to give specifically and I did that because I knew I was going to sip on the coffee and we were mm-hmm. getting on a call and I was kind of like snacking on the banana bread and I never went over like 130 or something and I did go to 78 at one point but then I came right back up and I was like wow that was way too easy you know and it was just such a good <laughs> reminder that like if you just do what you're supposed to do and don't question it it might actually work out. Not always, but a lot of the time. So I shared on Instagram on both my type one day page and type one together about just this idea that a lot of times a lot of us look at the number that the pump says to give and we're like, that sounds like a lot. That sounds kind of scary. I'm not going to give that much. And then we just make it hard on, harder on ourselves. And so many people, I was blown away by how many people commented saying they also do this and they felt so seen by it. So... I think it's important to talk about like why do we do this? Fear of insulin, fear of lows is such a real thing and I believe that it's the number one thing standing between us and the blood sugars that we want. And obviously there's a lot more complexity for kids, but when you're not getting on the blood sugar roller coaster in the first place, blood sugars are just so much easier. And I am telling you, I was 97% in range yesterday over 24 hours. The only reason why I wasn't 100% is I dropped to 68 at one point, but that was with taking a cycling class yesterday, eating that crazy breakfast, eating my normal meals throughout the day, like 97% in range. And if I had a big spike in the morning and crashed, like I often do when I have my coffee and breakfast, then the, the cycle just continues where you like keep going up and down and up and down. And it's just so much harder to manage. So it was one of the easiest diabetes days that I've had in a long time. It just like kind of all worked and that can't be a coincidence. So that was a lot. But Amanda, I'm kind of curious like what your relationship is to insulin, fear of lows, all of that stuff, if you've ever experienced it. Yeah. It's funny as you're explaining all of this, I'm like, I hope you don't, you know that I would never pick up my phone just to be rude. I'm texting her teacher because I can see that she's starting to drop by 10 and 11 points and she's currently at 85 and I am not scared of lows the way I used to be. So yes, I did used to be very fearful of lows and I would see a drop like that and convince myself that she was going to go into the 20s, 30s, 40s and pass out and oh my gosh, you know, all the scariest things. Part of that is because at least at our hospital, they drilled in a severe fear of lows, you know, which I do understand and I do appreciate that lows need to be taken seriously, Yes, but I had to learn for myself how to slow down a drop without completely overcorrecting mm-hmm. and how to slow down a drop and force myself to be comfortable with like the fact that sugars are slowing and she might be sitting in the 60s for a little bit. And that does not mean you immediately give more and more and more with every five minute Dexcom update. So like an example of that is right now, if based on her numbers right now, if we were one week in, I would have given her something, you know, like a full bag of gummies, which is 17 grams of carbs. And that's fast acting sugar with no fat or protein. So it's going to hit the bloodstream really fast, but it's also not going to have any component to slow down a severe spike. But I let's say the next blood sugar number after five minutes is like 70. I would have freaked out and been like, it's still dropping so much and given her more, like another bag of gummies. So now she's got 34 grams of carbs in her system that are just straight sugar. And then the number after that is 65. Let's just say it. It is. And I would be like, we're still in the 60s. It's still dropping. It's going to go fast. And I would maybe give her a juice box or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden in an hour, she's at 385. <laughs> it's like, yep. you know, I just, it took so much trial and error and it took so many 
real life examples of that happening where I'm watching it happen before I really understood what she specifically needed, the amount, how how different low snacks affected her, mm-hmm. thinking about the amount of insulin that's likely still working in her body based on when she was most recently dosed and how much. Yeah. 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 I realized a lot of the time I wasn't even going anywhere close to low. Like I was giving the amount that I thought I needed in my head and not listening to my pump all the time or not raising my carb ratios. And after a meal, I was only coming back down to 140, 150, you know, which is fine. But it's also like sometimes there's more room to even give more without even approaching that low. But I couldn't agree more with everything you said about like the treating of lows is also such a big yes not issue but like it matters so much well it does matter and it's it's one of those things where I brought that up because I needed to learn how to accurately treat lows and how to trust yes low snacks before I became comfortable giving bigger amounts of insulin absolutely I think I've and shared so about that, that before. Sorry, you go first. Oh, no, you're good. I was just going to say that, that that's just been my step-by-step process. And I think it's honestly a process that most parents of type 1 kids likely go through, whether you realize it or not. Because as you gain stronger control over the years, it's very likely that you have figured out how to accurately treat lows or prevent lows from happening in the first place and then how to like ride the nice kind of like flat line because you're getting off the roller coaster is freaking hard and the way that I get off of a roller coaster is by giving tons of insulin when she's high and watching it and intervening with healthy sugars that include fiber, fat, or protein Mm -hmm. before she approaches a low number that is going to require a a ton of carbs. Yeah, definitely. Does that make sense? (laughs) 100%. I think over time, too, you begin to trust the food and also just trust the ability to come out of lows in general. Like now that I am 22 years in, I'm like, okay, I've recovered successfully from every single low that I've ever had in my life. And that is reassuring and not that there can't be one bad one. And they are really scary sometimes. And I also think if I was someone who did have seizures or, you know, something like that from lows, I would have a very different relationship to them. But Thankfully, knock on wood, I have not experienced that. And I've been 28 before when I was younger and I've come out of that. I've had really scary lows multiple times where I still came out of them. So that doesn't mean everything's always going to be fine, but it's just like, okay, if I've done this over and over again, I can do it again. And those are so rare. Like usually the lowest I am is maybe 55, if that, but really usually in the 60 range, which even people that are non-diabetic will drop into the 60 range from time to time and it's not the biggest deal Mm -hmm. and then trusting food like you said that just takes time and also practice and I would always practice when I like wasn't low so like being 105 and giving 10 carbs and seeing how much it was going to bump me up was super helpful Mm -hmm. but and then I just always go back to well what are the emergency protocol okay I always have glucagon I have my CGM on my CGM doesn't work I have my pricker and (laughs) what's the word (laughs) meter (laughs) And, of course, night times are scarier, but during the day, it's like, we got this. We can catch it. Yeah. But with kids, yeah. it's a little scarier because sometimes they won't eat, and that's the other component to it. Yeah. The kids that won't eat or who love, love, love one low snack, so you buy a 100 of them, and then mm-hmm. literally the next day, they're like, disgusting. I'll never put that in my mouth again. It's like, great. What do I do with my freaking 500 pouches of applesauce now? clearly a tangent but (laughs) (laughs) I've done that to myself where I buy a lot of one and I'm like I'm so tired of this now (laughs) yeah yeah that that is definitely challenging I also wish earlier like this I don't know why I just thought of this but someone had told me right when we got home 
to like, I remember thinking to myself, like, what are low snacks? Like just juice. It's just apple juice or candy. And I don't want her to just have candy. And I wish that someone would have like put out this big list to be like immediately going to work, you know, juice or a tablespoon of honey or whatever. And then like, will work quickly, but not necessarily as immediate as juice. That's like the applesauce and like the gummies or whatever. And then will work, but will take some time is like the yogurt pouches and like a whole apple. If you were to give a whole apple. Yeah. We should make that list. Yeah. Let's do it. (laughs) We can make it and have it as a free guide. Um, But that does remind me, we finally, we're late to the game, but we finally started an Amazon like storefront so that we can link all these things we talk about so we can start linking that in all the podcast show notes too so that if you want you can kind of see some of my favorites and amanda's favorites for all the things that's a great idea so like going into this conversation like in the same thread there was a community request a while ago for us to talk about how to bolus for like challenging meals and how how to use split bolus, three quarters, extended, like all of those things. And I think we're going to get into that a bit in this episode. I'm going to start, if you don't mind, with what's currently happening with Hattie because it, even though it's not necessarily bolus related, it's still a practice that contributes to our relatively high time and range and good A1C. So we, this morning, started – so I, I made her French toast for breakfast, and I didn't count the carbs exactly. I definitely guessed by looking at the plate. It's two pieces of sourdough and um, real maple syrup. She asked for toppings, which included like blueberries and coconut flakes. And I basically guessed that the entire plate that I put down in front of her was about 60 grams, but I dosed for 40 instead. I dosed for 40 for a couple of reasons. We were starting breakfast with her at like the... 80 mark. Her blood Mm -hmm. sugar was 80. So it's on the lower end. And if she has no food in her belly and I pre-bolus by 15 or 20 minutes, she's going to drop from 80 really, really fast. So when she's low like or on the lower end of the spectrum for breakfast, I tend to dose five minutes before breakfast or right as she starts eating. So I dosed for 40, not 60 because I didn't think she was necessarily going to eat the whole plate. I also dosed for 40, like a little more than half of what was on the plate because of how fast acting the maple sugar or the maple maple sugar, the maple syrup syrup. is. (laughs) Yes. So I wanted enough insulin in her body to prevent a severe spike from maple syrup, but not so much in her body that if she didn't eat everything, it was going to crash her. So I did all of that and we just watched. She very slowly kind of crept up and then she sort of flattened in the mid 90s, like Mm -hmm. 20 minutes after breakfast. That to me told me we have a chance of going low because she did not eat that whole plate of food. She didn't even eat half of it. And if after 20 minutes, the insulin or yeah, after 20 minutes, she's flattening in the mid nineties. There's no way she's just going to stay flat in the mid nineties for the next three hours while the insulin's still working in her body. Yeah. So I approached that with like, okay, so you're full there. Do you want a cup of milk to sip on, on your way to school? And I chose milk because it's got some protein and fat for her and it's going to help keep her full and extend the sugars. And she said, yes. So she went into preschool and she was pretty flat in the like 120 range. And then she started dropping and I texted her teacher just now, like within the last 10 minutes, I texted her teacher when she was 
at 95 down 11. And that was after two drops in a row of 11 or 12 points. And I said, hey, can you give her juice, please? And her teacher said she already had juice with her snack. That tells me that her teacher dosed her for the juice that she had with her snack. Oh. Which is fine. That's what she's supposed to do. But what is likely happening is she already had her breakfast insulin still kind of on board the last little bit of it. But that last little bit coupled with fresh insulin and just a little bit of juice was setting her down. Mm. But I know that since juice is fast acting and they have a lot of simple carbs for snack at preschool, that she only needed a few fast acting carbs. And I knew that offering a toddler another box of juice right after she had a whole box is probably going to be met with her saying, no, thank you. So instead I said, can you please give her four gummies, which was about like six and a half, seven carbs. And now she's flat at 80. So the next drop was 85, a down 10. But then the drop after that was only five from 85 down to 80. And now she's 80 flat plus zero, plus zero, plus zero. Wow. See, that's like a intuition move. You know what I mean? Like you (laughs) intuition because you've like done this over and over again. Like that's just you explained so well what can go through your head once you start to really learn the patterns of your specific child or for yourself, which just takes time. Yes, it takes time. But it's also like you need to understand the inner workings of like how long insulin lasts in the body, multiple doses of insulin for like breakfast and then snack, mm-hmm. the kind of food that's in the body and what it is doing and how it's digesting, how it's processing. For me, it's like, I don't know exactly what's going on at preschool, but I can guess because we've been there for a year now and I know that their snacks tend to be on the more carb heavy side, which is yeah. fine. Like I could, they gave me the opportunity to bring our own snacks for her. And it was my decision to say, no, I don't want her to be different, to feel different. So she gets whatever you guys are offering. And it's, it's one of those things where I wish that that would have all been explained to me. I know it feels overwhelming, but I really think there's a way to explain how these factors interact with blood sugar from the beginning you know yeah that's true it's interesting because I know like it is a lot to explain to a newly diagnosed parent like on day one I feel like but it's like why don't they have kind of like a protocol of okay on like the second endo appointment on the third one whatever like let's go through a chunk of information that's a little bit more of a deep dive but anyways that's a whole nother tangent but I think you explained it really well. So people listening will at least hopefully gain something from that. <laughs> hopefully. Gosh, it's kind of crazy. I don't know. I don't, I like barely remember our education. And I'm really not sure if like we got unlucky and just had nurses that weren't great at educating because it's like you can be a fantastic nurse and just not be an amazing teacher. Like, Totally, yeah. Being able to teach somebody else is a skill. That's that's not something that comes naturally. So I can understand and easily, quote unquote, forgive, not that they need my forgiveness, but like, yeah, just understand why the education was not great in the hospital. What's not amazing to me is the way our system worked was we didn't have a follow-up appointment for six weeks after we got discharged. That's crazy. And then from there, we were told to come in and be prepared for a four-hour appointment because we were going to meet the endocrinologist, the social worker, the nutritionist, the CDCES, like all these people and it was going to be four hours and we showed up and we weren't told that they had double booked us for everything other than seeing the endo until we were in 
the actual doctor's office getting checked. Lovely. So then I had to come back four other times over the next four weeks. Nope. And I didn't, I <laughs> continued to not get the education I needed. Yeah. And, and the That's way they handled us was like, our healthcare professionals would walk in and be like, do you have questions? And it was like, that's not helpful. Yes, but I can't think right now. You know, you don't like, know what you don't know. They need you to You don't come. know what you don't yeah. know. And how about like, do I have questions? Do you, this is not helpful even a little bit. You're walking in, I'm baby wearing a fucking five month old who's screaming and needs to breastfeed. My two year old is now screaming and cuddling my leg because she only associates doctors with pain. Like she's saying she's hungry. I don't want to give her another shot. Like she's so sick of circle cheese and salon. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, It's just like, it's unbelievable. (laughs) It truly is. (laughs) Just had quite the interesting experience. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. You're good. Dosing strategies in general, I feel like we both are going into this a lot in our like auto mode and T-Slim masterclasses because some of it, I think it's helpful to know the algorithm that you're working with when you're yes. using these strategies. But I'm trying to think of anything that I could share specifically. I mean, kind of what I said earlier about dosing for part of the meal and then the rest of it later, like just like you would for a child who maybe you're not sure how much they're going to eat. I don't always know how much I'm going to eat or how fast I'm going to eat it, which also really matters, or what order I'm going to eat it. That also matters, like if you're eating like the lower carb foods first. And I used to use extended boluses a little bit more, especially when control IQ did not exist, but I really don't use it at this point. Like it kind of confuses me to be honest, and I find it more effective for my body personally to split doses, like to do half as a pre-bolus half when I start eating or in the middle of when I'm eating or after, depending on what it is, especially for higher fat meals, like I'll dose more later. Cause the extended yeah, will you explain find, that? Yeah. The, the dosing so later. Let's do, yeah. Let's, let's dive into a split bolus. Like yeah, split bolus is if you know the amount of insulin you're going to need for a meal that has 60 grams of carbs and you are choosing to split it you're saying give 50 percent or some other percentage beforehand as a pre-bolus so you have insulin in your body working when you take that first bite of food and then when do you decide that you're going to give that other Mm -hmm. portion of the bolus at the beginning of the meal in the middle of the meal or after the meal how do you make that decision This is really hard to explain, so hopefully people can follow along. I wish there was just a straight answer to this, and it is all so dependent on what my starting number is and what I'm eating and what the situation is. So, for example, if I am at a Mexican restaurant and I place the order and I start, my blood sugar is 135 when I get there, I'm most likely... When I sit down at the table, like maybe even right before I order or when I order, I'm probably going to put in two units just to get some insulin working in my body and start to bring that 135 lower. Then I also don't know what like what the food's going to look like. How big is this plate going to be? How much rice is going to be on the plate? All of that stuff. So yeah, it's so hard to put into words, but I think once the food actually gets to me and I start eating, I'd probably give the amount of carbs that it needs. So like, let's say that it's 50 carbs. I'd probably put that into my pump or guesstimate based on what I think I need. Give that like, let's say six units of insulin I need. I would give that then because it's Mexican food. There's often like a stubborn spike that comes later. So I'm pretty prepared to give sometimes a third dose for that or same thing for pizza or Chinese food. Usually 30 minutes after I finish eating, And that is kind of just like a little bump. I'll usually do another couple units or whatever. But if I see that I'm 180 straight arrow up, you bet I'm going to give more. Like I'm going to be more aggressive. So question, the two units that you've pre-bolused for, would you ever give – wait, LOL. Did you just see the balloons go up? Balloons just came on the screen. Do you guys (laughs) – What? Quick quick tangent. Do you guys – 
on your phones have used notice with FaceTime and stuff. If you like make some sort of expression or use your hands that it automatically puts a filter up, like puts a thumbs up or balloons or something. I just held up two fingers for two units and it, it's, oh, doing, it's it doing it again. Oh my Wait, gosh. It's this so is weird. Zencaster. This is not, sorry, that's our podcast platform. This is not it's so weird. FaceTime. Okay. I'm so confused right now. Anyway, anyway sorry. I know y'all can't so, see that. Um, that was hilarious though. Okay. The two units that you're pre-bolusing yes. for, that's to get your 135 down to a lower mm-hmm. range before you start eating so that you have more yes. wiggle room for your blood sugars to go up. But two units sounds like a lot. If you were mm-hmm. at 135, you would never give yourself two units as a correction. Correct. Correct. Right? That's very important. Okay. Yes. So, so I would just give it to because I know food is coming. Okay. So then you're saying for the plate of food, mm-hmm. you type in the carbs that you're guessing and it's and the pump says you need six units. You're yeah. still going to give the whole six units for all of those carbs with Ugh. the two units before? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So is the yes. two units for any amount of carbs at all or no? It's for the fact that I know that not all carbs are created equal and usually the amount of carbs maybe that I'm guessing at a restaurant isn't 100% accurate and that my number is probably just going to spike from that kind of food. It would be very different if it was a salad where maybe I only needed 15 carbs worth of insulin. If I was 135, I probably wouldn't have given anything, maybe 0.5 or something to bump it down. Then when I see the salad, I would have just given the amount I need. But but really like starting from that lower number is so helpful because for me, when I start to spike, it can happen really, really fast. And then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's too late, you know, so I really need more. But I also can't say for sure that I would give the full amount that it suggests me like it depends on so many things because I'm also thinking how insulin sensitive am I right now? Like, did I work out today? Am I on my period? Like all of those things go through my head. So I know this isn't like super helpful, but point is I like have to be pretty aggressive. Now, if I started at 80 when I got there, I probably would have done more of just like a good old fashioned pre-bolus, but probably only like maybe eight to 10 minutes before the food came. Not mm-hmm. that you know exactly, but let's say I'm cooking at home. I wouldn't give it as much time because like you mentioned earlier, I'd probably drop too fast and the food wouldn't start kicking in. So if I do a pre-bolus, it might be five to 10 minutes before. Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? Like it's it's so situational. Yeah, it is very situational. I just wanted to ask those questions so that yeah. Our listeners know that the two units is equal parts for bringing blood sugar down to a lower number for the beginning of the meal and to cover some of those immediate yeah. carbs that are hitting the bloodstream. Exactly. Well, then the bolus that you give what when you start eating for Mexican food mm-hmm. is to like cover the the food as it digests over time. Because yeah. the fat and protein slow to, slows down the digestion. Yeah. If I was already seeing an arrow slightly down by that point, when I gave that second bolus, I probably would take the recommendation and take off a unit or something like that. So that mm-hmm. it's not like too, too aggressive. But if I'm seeing that I'm a little bit stubborn and I'm still just sitting there and I'm like, all right, I'm going to need more insulin to get this going. Because sometimes more insulin for me will like compensate for the lack of pre-bolus. Does that make sense? So it's like giving a lot at once. Mm-hmm will help really get it moving versus if I just give a little bit. Yes. Okay. Someone had, um, it was a CDCS from Canada. I'm sorry I'm forgetting your name, but I have screenshotted our DMs. So um, I don't even know if you're listening to our podcast, (laughs) but she's so smart. And she was explaining glucose toxicity and why sometimes it feels like when you're very high, you need a lot more insulin than you would otherwise. I don't know the ins and outs. I need to do my own research. I need to read studies and stuff in order to explain it in a clear way. But essentially, my basic, very basic understanding is that the body, like it 
even if there's some insulin in it, when blood sugar is so high, the cells kind of like X out accepting wow. glucose. And so you need like tons and tons and tons of insulin so that the insulin is working in every key of every cell to finally yeah. take up that sugar. That's super interesting. Yeah. And so yeah. that is challenging, but it's also really helpful to know because if you have a kid who's like over 250 or over 300 and it's just like, oh my gosh, no, no amount of insulin is working. That's when you do sometimes have to give the bolus, the correction bolus that feels scary. Like for us. So the pump says like, not to give that one. Yes. Yes. It's like for us, if she is not eating food, I, anything over two units of insulin feels scary. Yeah. You know, based on her size and stuff. But when she's got a blood sugar of 350, she needs two units. And sometimes she'll still flatten out at like 180 or 200 and then she needs a little extra. Yeah. So with that being said, I kind of want to go into strategies for dosing for foods any food but really f like tricky toddler foods when your kid is already very high like that and the strategy that I use is if I notice that we are having a challenging blood sugar day or her sugars are starting to skyrocket for reasons unknown before a meal and I'm like, let's say her sugar is like, it's been creeping up, it's flat at 200, and then we're just like jumping 220, 280, 300, 310, whatever. I've made sure that the insulin's working, the pump is working. Like, this is truly just a stubborn blood sugar day and not another factor kind of day. If this is at 4 p.m. and we eat dinner at five, I'm not waiting until five to give that yeah. insulin. I'm giving a giant correction right now. Mm. And I might even give a giant correction plus a quarter to a half of the anticipated dinner dosage. Yeah. Because if I just give the correction, the hope is that by dinner time she's back down in range. Mm -hmm. But then you are still, at least in our scenario, you're still setting yourself up for an immediate rebound when yeah. you then go to like dose for dinner as she's starting to eat. But if I slam a bunch of insulin, she's her blood sugar is 350, I give her 2.5 units mm -hmm. and I'm giving that one hour to work, hopefully she's down at like 100 double arrows down when she starts to eat. And if she's double arrows down and still dropping, she's getting fast acting first. So she's getting the berries with whipped cream first. And then we're going to do the avocado or whatever. I'm going to put the plate down in front of her and just kind of like let her go to town. And then I make sure she her blood sugar is slowing and flattening. Mm -hmm. And then if she has eaten her whole dinner, then I still give insulin for the food that she just ate. I still yeah. put in all the carbs. Same. All of that. So, yes. Yeah. It's that's an that that again is a learning to trust that fast acting carbs do work and they will slow your child's blood sugar down. And it's just like a lot of trial and error, but I do think it's really important to not fear insulin. The other thing though in this conversation is all of this is so much easier when you're on a pump. Yes. If you are on MDI, the whole term of just like just ride the waves and let it go is kind of my, at least that, you know, that's my take on it is so there are so many factors that are out of your control and MDI, the only way to gain control is to give more injections, more yeah. insulin. And if your kid is willing to deal with 8, 10, 15, 20 injections a day, I mean, okay, I guess, but 
I, you know, I don't know. That's one of those things well, where you kind of just also, have to let it ride. Sorry. You're also stuck with the amount of long acting that you gave. So now yes. with automotor control IQ, it's adjusting basals, but essentially long acting is your basal in that case. And you're already too late. You gave that amount, which is yes. normally what you need, but it can make things more difficult and less fluid and flexible. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. This this was good. I feel like people got an inside <laughs> look into our brain. Like, I think this would have been really helpful for me to hear years ago. So I hope that you all do not take this as medical advice, but you mm-hmm. can kind of get what we're going at. And I think it really shows how much little factors make a huge difference, such as, yeah. like you mentioned, giving certain foods first. And also don't underestimate the power of a walk or a dance party after a meal. Like, you Heck know, I yeah. said I would give a third dose sometimes after Mexican food. If Kevin and I are going for a walk with the dogs after we eat, no insulin is needed mm-hmm. at that point, like no extra insulin. In fact, like I have to usually ask him if we're eating dinner and we're going to take them after like, okay, are we going to go right after? Or are we going to go 20 minutes after? Because if we go right after, a lot of times I see no spike and sometimes I need to give less insulin. Otherwise I will drop on that walk. If we go 20 minutes after, sometimes I will it's a really tricky spot to be in actually because it's like if I don't give enough for dinner then I'll see a spike before we go on a walk but then when we do go on a walk I have insulin on board and I drop like there's all these factors and the timing of it makes such a difference and I'm not saying to push walks or dance parties on your kids because that can also get very toxic and not great but if you have a little one who you don't need to even say we're doing a dance party for your blood sugar but it's like put on a fun song and dance right before a meal or right after it's gonna get that insulin moving so much faster which can be completely game-changing for like the overall time and range for the day yes thank you for bringing this up one of the things that happens with us a lot that like I can equal parts use to my advantage and it also can really like disrupt how (laughs) the blood sugars are going is my husband when he has to go into his office for work he goes in three days a week He gets home anywhere between 4.30 and 6 p.m. It just depends on the day and his workload that day. And that is quite challenging because I love this so much, but he gets home and those girls scream at the top of their lungs, dad, (laughs) they race to the door. It's an immediate, we have a game called ooh, ooh where he turns into a gorilla, they go, it's ooh, ooh. And then he goes, ooh, 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 ooh. And then he chases them around the house like a gorilla. And like, they just play. They play so hard. He's just been sitting at a desk all day. He's just sat in traffic for an hour. Like he's ready to get his shakes out. Yeah. And sometimes it's so helpful when she's on the higher end and I need her to come down. Like in that case, if I know that that is going to happen, I will give like a smaller correction to bring her down. I won't give what the pump suggests because all the activity plus the little bit of insulin is really going to tank her right before dinner. Other times we don't know what's happening. I've given her her bolus for her meal. I'm anticipating she eat her dinner and then we go straight to bath, but instead it turns into playing hard and fast, Mm -hmm. rough and tumble with dad. And then it's like, shit, you're 40, like out of nowhere. You were flat at 100 and then you were 80 and now you're 40. Like stop moving. (laughs) So yes, I just want to throw that out there too for anyone who notices things like that around dinner time. Pay attention to how much play is happening in the house with siblings or parents. That also made me think a lot of people notice that like if you're – really resistant to insulin and you have like a stubborn high or something if you get in like a hot shower it will make your blood sugars tank as well other people have said it makes them spike but that's another thing that I don't think we think about like if your child's hopping in a bath or in the shower pay attention to what that does to their blood sugar because that's good to know going forward if you're about to have bath time right after dinner yep it's really that's another really challenging thing but we don't change it much because like we have to give our, our, we are a bathe every day kind of family. I know that like 
not every family is and that's totally fine but our girls are grubby they have (laughs) boogers and food and dirt all over every square inch of their body at the end of every single day and so she has to go in the bath most of the time it makes her rise yep which is so crazy and a lot of the times I have to like physically stop myself from giving a little extra especially because we're in this really challenging part of our lives right now where I have no idea what she wants to eat and everything she does want to eat is simple carbs like just pasta just fruit and so I like don't give the full amount because of course it's the rule of diabetic law if I give my type 1 diabetic daughter a full amount of insulin she is not going to eat her whole meal if I give her half of the amount of insulin I think she needs, she's going to eat everything and ask for seconds in a matter of three minutes. Like it's just so annoying. And so a lot of times what will happen is we'll get in the bath. The heat actually makes her rise. Mm -hmm. And then I'll give a little extra bump and then we get out and then she's crashing as we're reading books. (laughs) (laughs) Great. A thumbs up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) wonderful yeah it's one of those things where it's like this is where I just relent to the stage of life we're in and when it's too much of that instability all day every day for weeks on end that's when I get really emotional about diabetes and that's where I've been and that's why like diabetes can be so hard for everyone but especially for parents of very young children because it's just constant stuff that's out of your control on top of diabetes and everything that goes into it that's already out of your control. Yes to that. Yeah, yeah I'm all done. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, I mean, mic drop, you said it all. It's <laughs> it's just hard. And my blood sugar is high right now, right after I gave that whole rant. Right before we got on, I had to text Amanda being like, I need two more minutes because I'm low. And I ate a little extra, but I had also just had my breakfast and coffee. And so then I went high. So just because I know what to do does not mean it always happens. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, this is fun. Blood sugar roll call. Woohoo. Howdy's 103. I'm 225. Some insulin, girl. Do a little boogie. I will do. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do one together on FaceTime. All right. Talk to everyone later. Have a good day. Bye, y'all.